Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on today's episode, where we're going to break down uh, all of the news that's gone on around the league and also what we've seen from spring training thus far out of the Rays. They've played three games. Uh, but joining me, very special guest. He is one of the hosts of the RBLR Rays Podcast. It's Ben Whitelaw. Ben, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm happy to be on. I've been a fan for a little while, so this is kind of this is cool this is awesome well you know i just i just thought and, and thank you i just thought that you guys had me on on your first annual trivia show i came in and won that championship um, you did it was yes. only right for me to then in, in invite you on my podcast um so if anybody hasn't listened to that it was um a great a really fun time answering some raised trivia questions and i thought um cole mitchum or at raised metrics was going to give me a really good run for my money Ultimately, I held him off, even though maybe, Ben, I know there was some controversy there with one of the questions that Cole may or may not have gotten answered correctly. Yeah, I I feel like I, I accidentally rig, rigged it a little bit, but I mean, your performance was great. Like you, I can tell you're, you're a Jeopardy kind of guy, you know, you, you read the questions thoughtfully. So you were, you deserve to win. Um, I could have been closer if I was, uh, you know, more on my game, but no, you, you were great and um, I can... I'm just waiting for uh, you know permission to send over that that award that we made for you, so you can hang it up in the background there in your in your room. Oh, that would be great. It would go great up here on the wall. I know this is a podcast, so it's not great radio, but it would go great next to my Akinori Iwamura and uh, Brandon Lau bobblehead. So uh, I'd love to have that. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you guys haven't checked that out, I know it's on YouTube and available as a podcast. Um, I, I've enjoyed kind of watching it back and 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 seeing some answers that I wish I had gotten, and and, and you know maybe I'm. Maybe I'm too much of, a, of an overachiever. I, I was able to win the, the competition anyways. But, Ben, let, let's jump into this. Um, it's your first time on the show, and it's still very relevant news as we head to the season. And uh, I, I kind of curious, like, what your thoughts are on the CBA, the CBA deal that was reached between um, the league and the players. Is there anything you, you really dislike that you staunchly dislike? Or, you know, maybe there's some things, some changes that you're, you're, you're really favorable, like you, you find really favorable. You think it's good for the players or good for the state of baseball. So what, what are your thoughts on, on this deal that they were able to reach? Uh, I First and foremost, I really like that they raised, you know, the league minimum. I think that's, that's so important, uh, especially for a lot of the guys who, you know, are up and down between the majors and AAA a lot, um, or even the guys, you know, who have a pretty short career lifespan. So, you know, it's important for them to get paid, um, you know, as quickly as possible. So that helps. Um, I really like it as a fan, but as a, as a union guy, I'm, I'm a little curious about like, you know, the players executive committee that like unanimously voted against it, but then the rest of the players voted for it. So that was interesting. Um, I'm happy baseball is back. So overall, I think it's, it's a good, you know, it's a good deal for everyone involved, but I think the players probably could have got a little more. Yeah, they could have. And ultimately I think they, they got a ton of wins in the CBA and you oh, mentioned yeah. one of them. Um, and, 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 Maybe they didn't get everything that they wanted, but it got to that point. And when I had heard that first report, because before it had broke that they that it was going to pass, right? The new, the players are going to pass it. The first report came out that, you know, the the executive committee was going to vote against it. And usually the executive committee, from what I understand, votes in one block. They voted unanimously against it. And then I think this thing's dead in the water. Um, not always, but a lot of the times the player reps kind of just follow the lead of the executive committee. They would have needed with, you know, eight votes against from the executive committee, two thirds of the player reps to ratify this CBA. And that's, ex you know, they got more than that and ended up being like 26 to four. Um, so I, I was kind of shocked. Um, I, yeah, I think the uh, the player minimum very much overdue. We had seen like these very. Um, like minimal increases from year to year, like it would go up 10,000 one year and 10,000 the next. And it wasn't really matching not only the rate of like inflation in the United States, but also just kind right. of the, mar the market rate for these players. And, you know, and, and again, I still think the pay structure in baseball is flawed. Um, I, I like kind of the way that the Rays have to manage it. I don't like the way that the Rays have to manage it, but I, I'm int intrigued by the way that the front office has managed it, given the restraints that are put on them by their owner. Um, but it's, you know, way past time for, for the younger players that are in their first few years of service time to get a larger piece of the pie. Um, a lot of times these are guys that are some of the league's best players and the upper echelon ones, you know, your Wander Francos and your Fernando Tatis is like, they're going to get the extensions. 
Uh, but a lot of these guys that are coming up at that age aren't like they are going to be stuck making league minimum. And even guys, we have seen superstars in the past that haven't gotten those extensions uh, that don't really get those pay raises until you get into arbitration. Um, so I think the, the overall, uh, you know, pay structure is flawed. I don't know if we'll ever see a major change to that. Uh, it, may, it could be a long, long time, uh, but I think the players ultimately got a lot of wins and, you know, baseball's back, and, and like you said, you know, the, the rule changes that we'll see, like potentially banning the shift, as much as I might be opposed to that, uh, and they might even bring back the, the ghost runner rule for 2022 that's still being debated right now. Ultimately, I can't complain. Like, baseball's back. We're getting a full season. It was going to be incredibly tough having two shortened seasons in the last three years, and neither of them, you know, the COVID one, it was going to be shortened, but the fact that it was 60 games was really a precursor to these labor negotiations. The fact that they didn't get a season started until well into the summer. But anyways, enough of the CBA, Ben. Um, there's been a ton of news around Major League Baseball. And, you know, I kind of want to share my thoughts. I'm curious what your thoughts are. The biggest one in, in terms of what's pertinent to the Rays um, was Freddie Freeman signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You got a six-year, $160 million contract. The last report, I believe John Heyman reported this, that the Rays had offered six years, $150 million. Um, so same amount of years or $10 million off of what the Dodgers offered. Um, I really thought the Rays had a chance here. I got my hopes up and maybe I'm naive. Maybe we've done, you know, we've seen this dance play out enough times that I shouldn't have had any hope. But my question to you, Ben, is like, do you think the Rays were actually in the running here or were they used to help get Freeman the deal that he ultimately got with the Los Angeles Dodgers? Right. That's that's a good question, because we know the Rays track record isn't to do something like that. But then they also, you know, at the deadline, it's a bit different. They went out and got Cruz last year. So they're not afraid to, you know, give up something in order to get something in return. But I I realistically like I kind of wanted Freeman, but I'm not upset that he's not here. Like, I understand it. Um, you know, the Dodgers, the rich are going to get richer. They they got what they wanted. I don't think the Rays necessarily need Freeman. Um, I think I, I think this team is still a really strong team offensively and defensively, of course. Um, but yeah, it, it was probably going to be a long shot that Freeman would sign with us, but it's still nice that they, they tried. But at the same time, I just, I, I'm not that upset about it. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not too mad. It's, it's okay. It is what it is. So. Yeah, I, I don't feel like the Rays are like, you know, now in a really tough spot because they didn't get the free agent. You know, the bar was going to be really high. This is a team that's coming off of, a, a, you know, a, a 667 winning percentage. They had the best record in the American League, won the AL East. They, you know, they backed that up with a 100-win season last year, and even though the postseason ended it before they, they wanted it to, um, this is a very good team. So the bar to bring in players that actually improve on the top end, you always want depth but guys that you're willing to pay the big bucks to come in and improve this team, that's a very high bar. And one of the only players out there that the Rays, you know, you know, if you eliminate all these shortstops, when you look at the shortstops they have in their system, this was one of the only guys that I thought did that. And yeah, I'm upset that they don't, they didn't get him. Cause I would have loved to seen Freddie Freeman with the, you know, with the Rays, uh, but you know, six year deal is going to be paying him through his thir- age 38 season. You're probably, uh, you know, hoping that you get some MVP caliber seasons on the front of that contract. And, you know, if he if he regresses to what most 37, 38 year olds do at the end of that contract, you just live with the consequences. Um, I don't I mean, we don't know what Freddie Freeman was thinking. Like maybe he did really, you know, was kind of torn between we had seen reports that his wife wanted to, you know, she's from Florida and she wanted to be closer to home. Freddie Freeman's from the um, the L.A. area, the greater L.A. area, and he wanted to be closer to home. Um, so I have no idea if the Rays had a really, you know, actual chance of getting him or if they were just used to run that price up to get him that sixth year because one report came out saying that the Dodgers had only offered him five years. But ultimately, I think, yeah, the Rays are fine. Um, but, I mean, does this make the Dodgers, like, if they weren't World Series favorites already, does adding a Freddie Freeman to that lineup really solidify them as the the, the cream of the crop going into this season? I think it kind of, you know, it, it kind of solidifies them in the way that it solidifies the Rays, if that makes sense. Like, I'll explain it because that didn't make sense, actually. But Freddie Freeman, you know, he's going to make that team better. Um, but, you know, him not going to the Rays doesn't make the Rays worse. Like, you just got to get to the playoffs, basically. Like, once you get there, it's almost a coin toss. Like, it, it's yeah. pretty close to it, you know. 
we see the Braves got in with what 88 wins and then they, you know, they go all the way. So just get to the playoffs and, you know, hopefully you're hot at the right time. Kind of like the Red Sox where they got pretty hot at the right time. And unfortunately for the Rays, that's, you know, that's baseball, but um, you know, the Dodgers are going to get to the playoffs and then they're going to have to, you know, face another really good team. So I don't know. It's, it's still a coin toss. I think he helps the team. Um, you know, it's, it's never a bad thing to have like, you know, a potential hall of famer on your team, but I, I don't think it, it increases their chances as much as people are, are talking about. Yeah. Cause at that point you're getting, you're just getting marginally better, right? You're not going out and you know, this yeah. is a, a rebuilding team that's bringing in a five or six one player. They're already going to win a hundred games most likely. Um, cause I think that division as a whole has kind of taken a step back. We've seen San Diego, kind of collapsed last year. We have no idea what they're going to look like this year. Maybe if the pitching staff stays healthy uh, and they can, you know, the locker room is a healthy environment as well. Um, they have a chance to to make that at least somewhat interesting. Um, but in, in the Giants too, the Giants as well, who were kind of the, the shocker of last season. Um, but you look at, you know, the wins they're going to pick up against teams like Arizona and Colorado. They're going to rack up a ton of wins there. Like you said, they're a playoff team. Freddie Freeman, does he make a difference in the postseason? You know, maybe, right? Like, we'll have to see. Like you said, it's a coin toss, and if, if anything, it's marginal. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't always try to get better at the margins, and I think teams like the Dodgers and Rays are consistently trying to do this, and they don't throw money at these types of players. Like, we talk about the Dodgers throwing money around, but they don't throw, like, silly money around. They're not, like, extending Joe Schmo, who was a, you know, a three-win second baseman for one or two seasons. Like, they put the money to the towards the players that are the difference makers. I think Freddie Freeman is a difference maker. You know, he's going to be 32 this year. He's still, you know, as a hitter, probably in his prime. Um, We've seen him win the MVP two seasons ago in a short season. So, you know, more more power to the Dodgers. Um, Fair play to them. Uh, You know, maybe, you know, Rays fans can be a little upset. But ultimately, like you said, I don't think that hurts the Rays at all. Um, But let's talk about something a little bit closer to home, something in the American League East that in terms of the AL East race, there's been a few moves over the past few weeks that have since the lockout was lifted um, that will have an impact on the AL East race and uh, maybe some other players that the Rays are interested in. I don't know what the talks were like, if there were any, um, but I guess I'll talk about the most recent one first. And that was Trevor Story signing a six year, $140 million contract with the Boston Red Sox. So we got a very similar deal to Freddie Freeman, only 20 million off of the total um, same amount of years though. Now, the biggest news here is that Trevor Story says he's agreed to play second base. Um, Xander Bogarts had said at the beginning of spring training that he didn't want to move off shortstop, that he was the Red Sox shortstop. But Ben, you know, I know how much you value defense. We can talk a little bit maybe later in the show about your love and our mutual love for Kevin Kiermaier. Um, (laughs) But does, does Xander Bogarts have, like, I know he's won a World Series with Boston, but does he have the right to be saying that he will, like, not move off of shortstop if they had acquired Trevor Story, which, which they ultimately did? I mean, I guess he has that right based on like, you know, a first come first serve basis. Um, I don't really know his defensive numbers super well. I can, you know, check those out really quick, but I've got I a think few, to, of them. you know, oh, okay, that's good. But I think, you know, to make a statement like that pretty, pretty quickly, um, I don't know. It, do, it doesn't feel like a, like a diva kind of thing, but like, I don't know. I feel like you wouldn't see too many Rays players, you know, coming out and saying those things, you know, I don't know the exact context. Maybe the reporter was pressing him, whatever. But, I mean, it's it's fine if he's at shortstop, I guess. I like it as a Rays fan because, I, from what I remember, they're not great defensive metrics. But, um, you know, Trevor Story playing second base, whatever. Um, he's leaving Coors Field, so he's going to lose a little bit offensively, but then he'll gain a little bit back with uh, the monster out there in, uh, in left field. So I, I don't think, you know, this is a, this is a world-breaking signing. But, you know, I think the Red Sox got a little bit better with this, so. Yeah, I think his park adjusted numbers are still very good. Like they back up than like the, oh, what, what's he gonna do when he leaves cores? Like we saw DJ Lemayhew, you know, have more success with New York for the first year that he was there. Um, right. So I, I think Story, you know, maybe he's more valuable as a second baseman. Maybe he becomes a out of all the second basemen in the American League, one of the more elite defenders at that position. Uh, but when you look at his numbers, so in 2021, I've got a couple different stats here. You've got defensive runs saved, where Trevor Story in 2021 ranked fourth. Amongst all qualified shortstops, Xander Bogarts ranked 16th, uh, and that was out of 21 qualified shortstops. So Trevor Story had nine defensive runs saved. Xander Bogarts had negative five. 
Um, now, if you look at outs above average on on Major League Baseball's like Statcast numbers, they were a lot closer. Story ranked 31st out of all shortstops with an OAA of negative seven. Xander Bogarts ranked 35th with a negative nine. Now there were you know Trevor Story was dealing with shoulder injuries last year, and if he's fully healthy, I think you expect him to kind of regress back to what he was, which was an above average and at times elite defensive shortstop over the last six seasons, the number of years that outs above average has been calculated as a statistic on, uh, you know, uh, based, uh, based on stat cast, Trevor story is 12th out of all shortstops with outs above, uh, over the last six seasons and outs above average with an 18 Xander Bogarts is ranked 41st with negative 39 outs above average. So you look at the larger sample size and the difference is pretty stark. Now, Trevor Story, you know, they're both entering their age 29 season. I don't think Xander Bogarts is a terrible shortstop. Um, He's definitely below average. The hitting makes up for it. But it's like, Xander, come on, you're going to hit the same no matter what position you're playing. Or maybe not. Maybe there's some psychological thing there. Um, But if I'm the Red Sox, I know you want to keep the guys that are already on your team, the guys that have already contributed to so much success that they've had in recent years. You want to keep those guys happy. But right now, if I had to pick who should play shortstop on opening day, it would be Trevor Story. Now, that's from just the numbers standpoint. I don't know. Maybe that does play a role in like how the, the clubhouse dynamics or you don't want to throw off Xander Bogarts. I think you might see a not a similar dilemma, but a similar conversation in terms of like Wander Franco and Taylor Walls. It's pretty clear Taylor Walls is far and away the better defensive shortstop. Um, but does that mean he's good enough to warrant moving Wander to, to third or second? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, by the way? I mean, I, I, today is mostly a league-centric show, but what are your thoughts on the Taylor Walls, Wander Franco, who's going to play shortstop by the end of the year situation? Well, I mean, as long as the shift isn't banned, I mean, they're kind of just going to be all over the place. So, yeah. um, you know, just watching spring training so far, like, it's it, – I mean, the Rays, you know, I, I think statistically they're they're like middle of the pack, maybe a bit above average and like, how many times they're shifting. But the shifting that they are doing is very – I feel like it's very fluid and strategic that Taylor walls might look like he's playing shortstop at times when Wander Franco is actually playing shortstop. Um, I would personally like walls at shortstop just because I defense is my favorite thing about baseball. Um, everybody thinks it's so boring. I love it. I love watching Taylor walls field ground balls. Uh, Wander Franco is not terrible. Um, and he, he definitely has room to grow and he'll get better for sure. I mean, he's, he's still, you know, like 15 years old or whatever, <laughs> but I think, you know, walls at shortstop, Wander at third would be ideal because Wander's got a pretty strong arm. He could he could hold down third. But I feel like the the overall infield defense kind of drops off a bit if Wander right. is out of position. So just to, you know, keep the keep the, the flow and the rhythm, I guess, of the, the infield unit as a whole, I think, you know, Wander at short is fine. But it's nice to have like, you know, walls available if needed. And um, he's going to, you know, find a way to get on the field because that glove is pretty special. Yeah. And and if you look at it, if, like you said, if there's no shift ban, it sounds like that's not going to be the case for 2022. Yeah. These guys are going to move. The Rays are going to put Taylor walls in the situation where he's going to, you know, be able to utilize his range. Wander, I think has really good hands and really good arm. Um, Doesn't have as much range. He's got enough range to play a fine shortstop. And and the numbers kind of bore that out, you know, over his half season that he played in the big leagues last year. But in a situation, and it sounds like we're headed in this direction where next year the shift will be banned, and we still don't know what that means. Because you see, like, and maybe there will will be rules in place to regulate this. But say, for example, you've got a, a lineup in which Taylor Walls is your second baseman that day and Wander Franco is your shortstop. Could you not just swap them back and forth in game substitutions between those two positions based on the batter at the plate? Like, is that a rule that you think they would they would iron out? Because it sounds like something the Rays and a bunch of other teams would probably take advantage of. Like, they would just come out. Kevin Cash calls time. All right, Wander and Walls are going to switch between second and short for for this batter. That's a good point. Um, most of my thoughts about like the shift banning were about like when does that start? Like. Is it when the pitcher starts their windup? Like, could the guys start running to their shifted right. positions? Or, like, do they have to wait till the ball leaves his hands and then they can start running to the spots they need to be at? Or, like, 
I don't know. And then like, what's the punishment if a team does shift? Like, what are you going to do? Like put a, put a run on the board for the other team, give someone a free base. Like there are just so many moving parts that I think trying to ban the shift is going to create a lot more problems than the imaginary problems that they're trying to solve. So just leave it alone. It's fine. Like if the team doesn't want to shift, they don't have to shift. So um, that's fine. If they don't want to do that, they can, you know, play subpar defense and, it's just it feels a little nitpicky i guess yeah ultimately like i don't want this to turn into a whole shift podcast if they ban the shift they ban the shift like i don't even a weekend we don't even know what that means does it mean like you've got to have two on either side of the infield there will be new market inefficiencies that pop up um like there's there'll be new ways to try to find that that competitive edge right the way that the rays you know they won't they didn't invent the shift but or you know 10 12 years ago really started to use it more indifferently than any other team had ever done. I mean, they'll find new ways to kind of reinvent the wheel as the rules change. The rules have been changing in major league baseball since the game was invented. So it's going to happen. I, I hate change. I kind of liked the, what, what we had going these last few years in terms of the way the game was played. But that's just me personally. The rules are going to change. I might not like it. You know, you, you, you listening right now, you might really like the rules that are, that are coming down the pipeline. Um, let's move on, though. We've talked enough about uh, Xander Bogarts, Trevor Story, what's going to go down in Boston. I think it's a good signing for Boston. Um, the years, I, I guess we'll see what Trevor Story looks like, if he can stay healthy, if he can put up good numbers at Fenway Park. Uh, that'll look like a, a really solid deal for him. Uh, the other one in this trade, uh, I think, is the one that, that hurt me the most as a Rays fan um, because maybe the Rays were you know, talking to the Oakland A's about some of their players um, there was rumors that they finished second in the Matt Olson offers. He ended up going to Atlanta, but this trade sent Matt Chapman to the Toronto Blue Jays. Ben, personally, I think and there's still moves yet to be made. This puts in my preseason power rankings. It puts the Blue Jays right above the Rays, just like just sl- ever so slightly in front of the Rays. What are your thoughts on what Matt Chapman brings to an already really talented Blue Jays roster? Yeah, I mean, one of their the Blue Jays' biggest problems was, I believe, like their bullpen and their defense. So they've, you know, addressed their infield defense a little bit. I don't know all about their pitching signings, but I do know that they added some depth. So they have gotten better. They've taken a step forward. Um, well, you know, we'll have to see how much of a step forward that actually is. Like, is Vlad Guerrero going to continue to have like a, home run to fly ball rate of like 27% or something like that, um, which is extremely high. Um, how are some of the other guys, are they going to take a step forward? They have a pretty young team. Um, so it's, there are still some question marks about how they're going to look next year, but I think adding Chapman does make them uh, a bit better of a team. Um, I know Chapman's bat is, is fallen off a little bit in recent years. It could be better, but you know, he doesn't really have to hit that much in Toronto. Like they've got plenty of other guys that can do it. So I think right now I still have the Rays at 1A, but Toronto is like 1B um, just because they have to go out there and prove it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely within the margin of error. Like I'm not going to be shocked if, if either team wins the division. And with the level of variance in the AL East, it wouldn't shock me if, if New York or Boston was able to put, put together enough wins to win it. Um, but, you know, even if Matt Chapman, and I think he's going to bounce back offensively, just looking at his career track record. But even if he is a league average bat, that's a very valuable player with the the level of defense that he brings to third base. Um, and you know, we, we talk about Kevin Kiermaier, who was a league average bat last season. How valuable he is! Maybe why he should go to the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> but uh, Matt Chapman, Matt Chapman, uh, yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I wish we would have had him because. You know, you're kind of looking at how the Rays are going to fill in, and they're going to platoon a lot on the corner infield. You've got, I think, Taylor Walls that's going to play a lot of third base, Yandy Diaz. On first base, you've got G. Montroy and Yandy Diaz. Um, maybe they bring in a Tommy Pham that can play more first base. So they're going to have a lot of platoon work on the corners. But Matt Chapman would have been the guy that I would have loved to have every day on the left side of the infield with Wander Franco. And what a team. Like, what, a t- what an infield that would have been. You've got Chapman, Franco, Lau, Choi, and then Taylor Walls and Yandy Diaz as your reserve infielders. 
that would have been an incredibly fun infield and, and I think the best infield in Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah, easily. And I think, you know, I, I feel like missing out. I mean, not that they missed out on Chapman because maybe they have other plans or something. We don't really know. I wish I knew. But I think that one hurts more than the Freeman thing because, like, that's, like, a more – that's it's a better fit, I think, than Freeman. And, you know, it would have really kind of not just taken the defense to another level, but I think just given them more – it, it would have addressed their first base need by addressing their third base need, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's a good deal though for Toronto. Like they, they got better. Yeah, they definitely did. And, and ultimately, you know, the Rays and you know maybe this influence is being changed by um, the new general manager, Peter Bendix. who's going to have a lot more of a say on these deals. I know Eric Neander is, you know, he is on top of that uh, organizational chart. He is the president of baseball operations. Um, but, you know, these guys, have, the Rays still have a very talented farm system. And the goal for them is to be competitive every single season. They don't want to take any years off anymore. They don't want to have a rebuilding year. And so if you part with three to four talented prospects, that could come back to bite you three, four years down the line. Um, so ultimately, the Rays, I think, are very comfortable with the team they've got. I think they're still looking to make moves including some trades. Maybe one we'll talk about a little bit later on. And I mean, who knows? Maybe some, I've got tweet deck open. Maybe something will break here while we're recording. Um, but let's move on to Carlos Correa deal. I think this one is maybe the, maybe not the most shocking, uh, but a three-year contract with tons of opt-outs for Carlos Correa to the Minnesota Twins. And, and Ben, I think the story here has to be the, the structure of the deal. It's a three-year deal, but it's like an opt-out after... Uh, I think each year of the deal. So which after years one and two, it sounds like it's a, it's a short-term contract. And if the Astros decide they want him back next year, he could opt out and go get, you know, an eight year deal with them. So he's making 35 million uh, through each year. It's a total of 105 million and he can opt out after both this season and next. He has a limited no trade clause this year. And the next two seasons, he does have a full no-trade clause. So very much a player-friendly deal for Carlos Correa. I guess, like, what does this do to the Twins? I know last year they had high expectations coming off a playoff appearance. They had a very disappointing season. To you, like, does this put them back into the conversation now with expanded postseason as a potential threat in the AL Central or a wildcard team? Yeah, I think they're definitely a playoff team. Um, You know, the the guardians are still maybe a year or two away from, from kind of making noise in that division. But, you know, the white Sox, in my opinion, are still the top team there. They're just, they're deep. They've, they can do a little bit of everything. Uh, the twins did take a step back last year, which is a little surprising. So, you know, they're going to have, they're going to have to come out and prove it this year, but, you know, getting Correa does make that team better. But my favorite part of the deal is what it did to the Yankees. Like it's so funny that they freed up money by sending Donaldson over there. And then they signed Correa because the Yankees really need a shortstop. So um, I really like the 4D chess there from the Twins general manager. And I love the uh, the Yankee cheers from it. So um, I, I'm a little concerned about the Twins being a good team, but um, I still think, you know, they they won't be that the best team in that division. Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about the Yankees after after the break, I think. But uh, I think they do have a fine shortstop. They, maybe not the guy they wanted. Um, they ended up striking out on, on Story and Correa and other guys they may or may not have been interested in. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. The next one is Chris Bryant to the Rockies. And this one's interesting because, you know, Rockies not too long ago traded Nolan Arenado. They just let Trevor Story walk. He signed with Boston. And now they signed Chris Bryant to a very large contract. This feels like it's an organization without a real direction. Uh, ultimately, me personally, I'll never fault a team for acquiring all-star caliber players, especially free agents, to try and improve the roster. But the Rockies, even with Bryant, I can't see them competing in that division anytime soon. No, I don't think so either. I think Bryant just kind of wanted to get paid. He's already got his World Series ring. You know, enjoy your time in Colorado. It's probably pretty nice to to be up there and just hit like, you know, 40 to 50 home runs. Um, I, I think it'll have fun. I think it's it, it's a good deal for him, but it, it's a little surprising that he didn't want to go to a competitor. But you know that's his choice, whatever. Um, 
he's gonna look pretty good in a Rockies uniform though because he's a handsome guy and that that's a nice color purple so maybe that was part of the the influence I don't know yeah even though like they're very like like I said directionless franchise I don't know there's some allure to that stadium in Denver to hit the crap out of the ball they seem like a nice fan base like they don't seem like an overly demand you know nothing like the, the, the Chicago or New York markets um, Chris Bryant was already a hero in Chicago for being a part of that 2016 team. And who knows, by the end of this contract, maybe the Rockies put do put something together and he can be the hero there too and bring them their first World Series title. Seems like not a bad way to get, you know, your probably your last massive contract in Major League Baseball. And then maybe he goes in twilight's back with the Cubs as a DH for the last couple years of his career. Who knows? But yeah, that's an interesting one. Like I said, I'm not going to fault the Rockies for trying. Um, but it seems like they're still very far away and they don't really know what direction they're headed in. So we're going to take a quick break here on Raise Your Voice. And on the other side, we're just going to kind of talk about the rest of the moves, maybe not as big as the ones we covered in the first half, but just kind of clean up and, and talk about uh, maybe some moves the Rays could still make before opening day on April 7th. And we're back here on Raise Your Voice. Uh, ben, we kind of hinted at this trade uh, before we went to break. Uh, but the Yankees did acquire a shortstop, if that's what you want to call him. And it's Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who has been a, a an above-average defensive catcher, an above-average defensive third baseman, an above-average shortstop. He's a player who's never really hit for, for much, but his value defensively, I think, makes him a really good big league player. And it sounds like he'll be the Yankees shortstop for this season. The Yankees also acquired third baseman Josh Donaldson, who is still putting up some really solid numbers albeit at a crazy salary. Uh, they got Ben Rortvet, who was one of Minnesota's backup catchers, and they got those players in exchange for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. Gio Urshela, another player I really like for his defensive capabilities as well. Gary Sanchez, a, a polarizing player, definitely hasn't put up the type of numbers that he did in his rookie season. What was your like initial reaction when you heard about this deal? Um. I, I like Kiner Falefa. I think he's a great defensive player, like you said. He's a pretty average hitter, and I think he'll stay that way in New York. Um, I don't know how much the uh, the park factors would affect him, but I know that the the park he played at with the Rangers is pretty hitter friendly, so he'll probably be about the same offensively. Um, I I love to hate Gary Sanchez because it's it's really funny, but at the same time, like a part of me kind of wanted him to go to the Rays. Um, maybe it's like a DH type thing. Cause like he can, he can hit the ball hard. Like he just got, he's got to figure out the, the strikeouts a little bit. Um, you know, he's set, but I, I think it's, it's a pretty lateral move for New York. I don't think they really got much better. I don't think they got worse. I think they added a little bit of depth and versatility, but yeah, that, that Josh Donaldson contract is, is pretty heavy and he's not getting any younger. He still has pretty good, you know, a pretty good batter ball profile. But yeah, I, I don't think this was a, 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 a an overly great move for the Yankees. I think they stayed, you know, about the same, maybe marginally better. I, I think they got marginally better. And that's why I kind of like it for them. Again, they have the ability to take on that money. You know, they can, I don't think they're, I don't know where they're at right now, but they can go over that self-imposed cap that the owners like to call the luxury tax if they want to, but they got better defensively at shortstop. I kind of like Ben Rortved. I've, I liked Kyle Higashioka. That's a catching duo that, I don't know, it's not the best in the league, not not by far, but you know it's doable, right? It's serviceable. These guys are pretty good defensively. Higashioka can, you know, he's not the worst hitter in the, out of all the catchers, but um, you know, he can he can swing it a little bit. Kiner Falefa is, like I said, a player that I'm I'm a huge fan of. You know, moving on from Gary, I think was probably the best for that situation. It seems like that relationship, not only with him and the team, but him and the fan base had kind of soured. He like you said, he's really easy to kind of make fun of, even though he's a player, just like you. I was like, it would be really cool to have him on the Rays and like have him watch him have a thirty five home run season and Yankees fans are going crazy. Um but Gio Shella, you know, they got rid of a good player too as well. So I think they got marginally better. They had to pick up the money. And like you said, they struck out on everybody else. What are your thoughts on the Yankees? Like, where do you have them finishing in the division this year? It's it's tough to say, but, you know, they're the third, maybe fourth best team on paper right now. So it's weird to say that because, you know, they, like you said, they have, they have unlimited resources, basically. They could go out and spend whatever they want to. They just choose not to. 
Um, but I think something that also that's a little concerning, um, aside from the money thing, is how like right-handed heavy this lineup is. Um, you know, you get a right-handed pitcher who's hot and dealing one day, they're going to mow down this lineup. It doesn't matter, you know, how strong uh, Stanton and Judge are. It doesn't matter, you know, how many times uh, Donaldson's at the plate. Like, they're pretty right-handed heavy. So I think, you know, not having that balance is important. Um, I know the Rays value platoons so much. So, you know, I'm kind of biased towards, you know, platoon players, but it doesn't feel very balanced Their Their pitching staff isn't really getting any younger. Um, I know Garrett Cole is, you know, he's, he's great, but like who else is a starting pitcher there? Um, and the other thing with Garrett younger. Cole is we saw his numbers go down and, and maybe there were some injuries there, but we saw his numbers go down after the sticky stuff ban. Now we're going to see that for a full season. Right. He's going to be very good. Don't get me wrong. But is he going to be that, you know, second best right-handed pitcher in baseball behind Jacob DeGrom good? I'm not convinced. No, I, I think he's still maybe a, a top 10, top 15 pitcher. Like, he's still awesome. You know, he's going to be in Cy Young contention most years. But he's not he's not invincible anymore. And neither is Aroldis Chapman. Like, he was he was wild last year i'm surprised he you know got the results he got because he was you know not not good uh to put it nicely but that team does not scare me at all like i'm i'm kind of excited to play the yankees not as much as i'm excited to play the orioles but like <laughs> yeah this is this is gonna be a fun year i think for the rays going into new york and, and slapping them around a bit i love it yeah i'm curious what, what joey gallo does in a full season there the biggest storyline with the yankees though is like are they going to have Aaron Judge for more than half the games? Um, right. Because there's some there's some vaccine issues there. I don't know what the latest is on that situation. I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see when the season starts, if there's any policy changes in New York City, or if Aaron Judge finally does get the vaccine, if he hasn't already. I know Boston was having similar issues, but it sounds like almost all the guys they were worried about missing, missing games um, got their shot. You know, it's one thing to miss nine games uh, north of the border in Toronto, but the way, you know, we're seeing it play out with the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA right now and Kyrie Irving, if you don't have your shot, you cannot play in games. It's a little weird because they're allowed to like be there and not, they don't have to wear masks, but he's just not allowed to play. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see, but that would be an extremely interesting storyline to follow if Aaron Judge is not able to play and Yankee Stadium this year uh, for the right. Yankees. So I, I think it'll end up getting worked out one way or the other, but it's something to follow uh, right now for sure. Um, let's let's talk about, let's move outside of the division, go to the National League um, deals that aren't uh, directly impacting the Rays. Uh, Seiya Suzuki signed with the Chicago Cubs. Again, Rays were interested. Are, like, were you following the Seiya Suzuki recruitment? Were you, were you really hoping he, he would come to the Rays? I thought he had an outside shot, um, but based on not much like concrete knowledge or like statistics or anything like that, it was mostly because he had the same agent as uh, as Yoshi coming over. And the Rays really did treat Yoshi well. Like they gave him, you know, plenty of opportunity. They didn't, you know, turn on him, even when the fans turned on him pretty quickly. So I think they had an outside shot. You know, they've got the good young team that they can, you know, advertise to him. But I mean, it, these players are going to make decisions for whatever reasons they have, whether they're, you know, financially motivated. Um, this doesn't look like one that's motivated by like wanting to be on a winning team because the Cubs are, are, you know, a little bit, a couple of years out from, you know, putting together a decent roster. So I, I would have liked to see him on the raise, but kind of like the Freeman deal, it, I'm I'm okay with it. It doesn't, you know, hurt or anything. Um, but I, I still thought he had an outside shot. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a very good player. Um, the, the money was a lot. The Cubs had an opening, and they were willing to spend it, which I think, again, good for them. They're, they're rebuilding right now. You lose Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryan and Javi Baez in the same season. You know, you want to look at who are going to be your franchise cornerstones for this next era. You've got David Ross as your manager. He's really going to have his, I mean, he's, he's been challenged every year he's been there, but this is going to be a real test with a completely different looking roster. Um, half the name, more than half the names in their lineup at the end of last season, just had no idea who these guys were. Um, but yes, yeah, they asked to the Cubs. Yeah, I think the Rays were interested, but I don't know how interested. And ultimately he goes elsewhere. Uh, let's talk about Nelson Cruz, though. If last year finished the season with the Rays, 
Uh, Nelson Cruz sides with the Nationals, and we knew that with the implementation of the designated hitter across both leagues, Nelson Cruz, alongside a couple of other guys that we'll talk about in just a second, they were going to have a lot more suitors, right? Nelson Cruz is really at the age where he cannot play the field. He played, I believe, one game for the Rays, maybe two at first base, um, and he had never played first base before. It's not like they stuck him out in right field where he has experience. He had never played first base. Now he gets to go to a team that has to fill a spot, roster spot for a designated hitter, uh, the Washington Nationals. Now, again, Nelson Cruz, maybe in the last year of his career, who knows, or maybe he's going to pull a Tom Brady and just keep sticking around for you know, well into his 40s, a team that doesn't look like contenders. But I think the one thing I'm interested in here is we saw, like we talked about, the biggest thing with Nelson, Nelson Cruz, who struggled with the Rays, was the relationship he had with guys in the clubhouse and his ability to mentor guys like Wander Franco. Now he's going to go to the Washington Nationals where he can maybe have a similar relationship with another player from the Dominican Republic, Juan Soto. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, watching Nelson Cruz in this lineup. But Ben, what were your thoughts on uh, Boomstick going to the NL East? You know, he did his time in Tampa. Um, he, I think he had like a 96 weighted runs created plus uh, with the Rays. So he was painfully average, but the impact off the field in the locker room, you know, the, the way we, we don't know, it's hard to quantify. So we don't know exactly, you know, how impactful he was or how helpful he was, but just having him around like this young core has, has, you know, added a lot of value to this team going forward. So, you know, I'm happy for his time here and, I think it was a good deal at the time that the Rays got him. It just, you know, unfortunately didn't work out. You know, the, the age started to show possibly, you know, he couldn't catch up to, I, I think the stat was like 95 up in the zone. He really struggled with. So he's probably going to continue to struggle with that in Washington. But like you said, you know, he's going to take Juan Soto um, under his wing. He's going to help some of the other young guys. Cause they have, you know, they're not a terrible team in Washington. Um, they're not great, but, he, I think he'll, you know, add more value off the field than on it this year, which is kind of weird because he is a future Hall of Famer. Like he's, he's an awesome hitter, but he's just, he's very old now. So it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. We'll, we'll just have to see there. I, I like it, you know, but a guy, like you said, there are other number of reasons why guys make their choices. Maybe he really likes Davey Martinez. Maybe they have a, a relationship of some sorts, and maybe he wants to play with him. Maybe he does really want to play with Juan Soto. Maybe he does see himself as this mentor figure now that is still a productive hitter. I know he had his struggles with the Rays. It was a small sample size. It was a new team, new environment. Uh, yeah, I, I hold no ill will towards, towards Nelson Cruz, and I hope nobody else does either. Um, but a couple other DH types, except... Uh, there's two of them going to the same team and potentially a third on the way. Uh, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos both signing with the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I, I know that they added the universal DH, but do the Phillies know that you only get one designated hitter because fitting both of these guys in your lineup at the same time means one of them's got to play in the outfield and neither of them are particularly good at it. They're both actually pretty bad in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like the, the Phillies thought universal DH meant like you can have a lineup of all DHs or something <laughs> because it's just that even their players that do play the field, though, like defensively, they're not they're not good. It's going to be, you know, every ball in play is going to be an adventure in Philly. So um, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of, I guess, not highlights, but maybe blooper reels from that um, on Twitter this season. So. Yeah, it, it's interesting, a bit a bit confusing, but they do have, you know, a pretty potent lineup. So, you know, maybe they're just planning on scoring 10 runs a game. So when they give up, you know, six unearned runs, it's it's not as it's not as hurtful. I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and now the name they're they're involved with and we've seen rumors is Austin Meadows. Um we had even seen Kevin Kiermeyer rumor to the Phillies. It seems like a good fit for him to go out there and play center field. Now they've maybe moved on to Austin Meadows, who I'll give him credit, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but from the eye test, which I still believe in when it comes to defense, um, looked better in the outfield in 2021 than he did in 2019 and 2020. Um, he, he looked like he slimmed down. He looked like he might have been a little bit quicker. I still don't think he's average. Don't get me wrong. I think he's very much a below-average defensive player. But one, Ben, like what – we'll just start with this question. Like, should the Rays – 
be trying to move on from Austin Meadows, or is he still a valuable piece that should be kept for, for this season and potentially beyond? I mean, if he does go to the Phillies, he would be one of the better defenders on the team, which is interesting. But like you said, he's, he's really not terrible. He did make some strides. He's improved. Um, but yeah, he's still not a great defender. I think the Rays could move on from him, but if they do, it's kind of like they're going to need something like major league ready in return. So they don't have too much drop off in the team. Um, Austin Meadows is really good against right-handed pitching. Like he's, I think he's got a, you know, he's, he's 30 to 40% above average as a hitter against righties. So he's not bad. He's just, you know, likely a a full-time DH um, in Tampa. So, excuse me, sorry. Um, if they do move him to Philly, um, I'd like to see uh, maybe Alec Bohm uh, in, in like a package for him because he would be a right-handed hitter that could make this team better. But I'd be fine with keeping Meadows. I, I think, you know, he's, he does a good job for his platoon role. When I had convinced myself that the Rays were going to be signing Freddie Freeman, I'm like, all right, bring in Freddie Freeman. You trade Austin Meadows. You acquire a right-handed bat, whether it be Bohm in a trade. Um, Tommy Pham, a free agent signing, which they still might make. He is still unsigned. Or maybe what about in, in Alec Bohm? Let's talk about Alec Bohm for a second first. Like a player, very highly touted prospect. Don't know whether he's going to be a third baseman long term or move on over to first at some point. But really, really struggled in his first season in the big leagues. At one point was optioned back down to A. He was one of those prospects that, you know, once he's up, you just don't expect to go back down. Um, but really struggled at the plate. Do you believe in a, in an Alec Bohm? You know, I know it's really crazy to say this, like a guy that's only played one season in the big leagues, but are, are you a believer in the Alec Bohm redemption tour? Yeah, absolutely. hundred um, percent. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I did look into it a little while ago when, when the Kiermaier to Philadelphia trade talks were happening and his, he was making a lot of contact on pitches outside of the zone, which was really uncharacteristic for him, like given his track record and stuff. So I think it's it was a little bit of bad luck, and then he got in his own head, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So I think he'll definitely bounce back. I don't think he'll be, you know, an MVP candidate hitter, but he should be, you know, a, a fairly above average hitter. And he plays an okay third base, um, but you know, maybe having him at first would also be okay. So I think he'll bounce back. And if the Rays do trade Meadows, that's the guy that I would want coming back, coming back over to Tampa. And I should correct myself. It was technically his second season in the big leagues. He played 44 games in the shortened 2020 season. It was his first full big league season, though. He played in 115 games. Did go back down to AAA for for a handful of games, though, as well. And he did well in that 2020 season. He had a 138 WRC+, plus, over 180 plate appearances. He had four home runs. Um, did really find a stride early on in that, that short stint in 2020. Yeah, I don't think you can expect him to put up a 75 WRC plus again moving forward. Yeah. Now, you know, sometimes prospects do flame out like that. Um, but if he's a league average right-handed hitter and he's above average uh, against lefties, I think that's a player in the same vein that the Rays might be going after a Tommy Pham, a guy that you can platoon, whether it be at third base, first base, designated hitter. And if you move on from Meadows, I don't know if that would be a one-for-one thing. If I, I think it would probably be... Meadows, Bohm, and then both teams include prospects that they like from the other side. Um, you've got Sam Fold, the, the 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 GM in Philadelphia. Dave Dombrowski is the president of baseball ops. Um, so Sam Fold has some familiarity with the Rays front office. Um, Dave Dombrowski obviously knows what he's doing. And that would be an interesting trade. I'm kind of curious as to like what the discussions are, if they are really happening. There's been some rumors, nothing really confirmed, that talks are heating up or anything. But I'm, I would. That's one of those deals that I'd be really curious to see. Like, I'd be. I would want to be a fly on the wall in those discussions. The one other player, though, if it's not Alec Bohm, how would you feel about now? A lot less team control, but how would you feel about Reese Hoskins coming back to the Rays in a deal like that? Uh, I I think he would be pretty decent as well. Um, I know I don't think he's a very good defender, but the Rays really need a DH, so um, that would be fine with me. I don't know too much about him. I know that he's a, a pretty strong right-handed bat so he would most likely be you know sitting in a platoon role which would kind of like you know help him or maximize his output so yeah I guess uh, Hoskins would be nice too I mean they could probably do like a, a one-for-one swap with Hoskins and, and Meadows I think 
Um, that seems more reasonable than Boehm just because Boehm still has, you know, some upside left. I think Hoskins is, I don't know how old he is, but I'm pretty sure he's already, you know, at his peak or, or peaked already. But yeah, he, he's going yeah, into just, his age 29 season last year. He put up a 128 WRC plus um, his walk rate was the lowest it had ever been, but it was still at 10.6%. He had 27 home runs over, you know, he, he did some, spent some time on the IL only had 443 plate appearances and if you look at his numbers against left-handed pitching, um, he put up a 144 WRC plus versus left-handed pitching, a 12% walk rate, uh, 320 ISO. This man can match lefties, and yeah, you know you have him and Yanni Diaz in the same lineup against lefties. That's something I'd I'd really love to see. Okay, yeah, then the race should just get both of them. So just give them Meadows. <laughs> we get both. Don't give anybody else because I, I like our prospects, and then uh, we'll call it a deal. Uh, maybe Samfold can help us out a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand why the Rays can't trade their players for better players. Like that should uh, that should be easy, right? Yeah, you got to turn on forced trades. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, we're gonna take one more break, and on the other side, Ben, who's been following the three spring training games that have already been played religiously, is gonna raise his voice about some of the arms that we've seen in these early games, and which of them, if any, might be playing a significant role in the Rays bullpen sooner rather than later. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Ben, it's time for you to raise your voice. Um, it's your it's your first time on this show specifically, and, and I think uh, this is something that I'm really curious as to what you have to say. Um, you've been watching. We've played three games. The Rays are, what, uh, 0-2 with a tie in there mixed in? Like, I, I don't even know. What's what's our record right now? Um. Yeah, yeah, they haven't won yet. They've tied a game, but, you know, the the results aren't too important. I keep telling myself that um, I like to win, but it's still spring. So, you know, I don't, I don't care too much. Yeah. And, and before we get into the raise your voice segment, uh, where we're going to talk about some of the pitchers, because we haven't really seen any of the major league pitchers, the guys that'll be on the opening day roster, because they all just got to camp and Kevin cash has said that they're not going to change their spring training ramp up, which could mean that the Rays are going to look, you know, they're going to do things even more weird than they usually do come the start of the season you might see starters with like two or three inning starts in that first week i have no idea what it's going to look like we're going to hopefully there'll be no injuries and we can kind of see how these guys get ramped up but opening day is not that far away much different than a normal spring training but i do want to touch on the one lineup that they ran out in game two on saturday against the braves you had brandon lau at second wander franco at short austin meadows in left randy rosarena in right Jimon Troy at first, Yandy Diaz at third, Mike Zanino catching, Manuel Margot as the designated hitter, and Brett Phillips in center field. Now, this looks like it could be very close to a Rays opening day lineup. Now, you probably have Kiermaier in center. You probably don't have Margot as the designated hitter. You'd have Meadows there, I'm guessing. But how would you feel about this, the, you know, very similar lineup as the one they ran out on Saturday coming out on on april 7th uh who are you even playing baltimore I, I have no clue yeah i honestly don't know that far ahead but i like the lineup i thought it was fine um it's i i think the reason for having margot at dh and meadows in the field even though margot is like you know miles ahead of meadows defensively is maybe they were trying to shop meadows like show like hey look he can play in the outfield so <laughs> I, I kind of understand like maybe that's why they put him out there but I think that's a great lineup and you know the guys the the bats are definitely a bit behind uh the arms right now so I'm not going to put too much stock into it but um yeah I mean I think that's something that we'll likely see I think you know Kiermaier would more likely be in in center um and Phillips would be off to the side but you know Kiermaier is a little banged up right now but he'll be fine he's getting better yeah, uh, yeah, and the bats are always going to be behind the pitchers, and it's and it's been a weird spring. So I never take stock in spring training results. Uh, I'm probably going to do even less of that here this spring. But what I do like to pay attention to is some guys that maybe we haven't seen yet, or are new to the organization, or are up and coming through the farm system. And right now, the focus has been all on the pitchers because it's been almost all. I don't even know if a guy on the 40 man roster has pitched in a game yet. Um, but Ben, it's it's time for you to raise your voice. Who like have there been one or two guys, and you can kind of focus on them and and, and how they like who they are as a prospect. Any guys that you've seen through these first three games that you think by the end of the year could carve out themselves a role in this race bullpen? 
Yeah, so in terms of prospects, uh, Colby White is is probably the most obvious one, but he's still like really interesting and I love him and he was awesome today. It was really fun to watch. So I, I definitely want to talk about him. <clears throat> he's he's a menace on the mound. Like he is, he has that closers mentality. He's been, you know, groomed to be a high leverage guy ever since college. Like he's he looks the part. Um, he's got the attitude for it. He's a really nice guy, though. I listened to his interview on the Neil Solon's podcast. You know, he's very, you know, he's he's very, you know, well-rounded, articulate, but he's a competitor and his uh, his splitter is really special. I know Savant was classifying it as a curveball today, but it's a splitter. Um, he's talked about it before. He talked about it with Solon's, actually. Um, so it's it's not a curve. It's a splitter. It's really nice. He threw a couple good ones. There was a really nice video going around Twitter right now of, uh, of one where he got a strikeout looking with it, but yeah, he he looks the part, and I think he's gonna he's gonna play a big role this year. He's a guy where you know he's not gonna break as a true reliever, and he's not never he started one game, and that was this year at High A in his minor league career. Um, he pitched at four different levels and just kept bringing his best stuff through all four levels. He pitched sixteen and a third innings at A ball in Charleston, didn't give up a run. Um, pitched 23 and a third innings at, at high A, 2-3-1 ERA, had a 1-3-8 ERA through 13 innings in Montgomery, and then finished the year at AAA Durham, 9 and two-thirds innings, a 1-8-6 ERA. The strikeout numbers were great throughout. He's got, um, you know, I think he pitched, the, yeah, he pitched the most in high A, and at that level had a 41.7% strikeout rate and only an 8.3% walk rate. He's got electric stuff. And, you know, relievers aren't going to break into top 100 lists. They're not going to even break into a lot of Ray's top 30 prospect lists. But if you, if there's any such thing as a really reliable reliever prospect, I think it's going to be Colby White. Like, it looks like his stuff's going to translate. As long as he stays healthy, he's a guy. And he's, you know, his age 23 season. You know, why, why couldn't he pitch in the big leagues this year? There's going to be injuries. There's going to be room for new guys to come up. And if he does well in AAA Durham to start the year, I imagine if there's room on the 40-man roster, if they can make room, he could be one of the one of the first calls. You know, like the, the way he pitched, I know you want to make sure you give him time to develop. But just, yeah, Colby White seems like an, an electric pitcher. He really is. And the stuff is incredible. I noticed a couple things mechanically that, you know, he's going to want to fine-tune. So we'll pay attention to that the rest of spring. But if, if he, you know, gets locked in, you know, over these next couple outings, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make the big league roster right out of camp. Like his, his stuff is incredible. And like you said, his stats throughout the minors were amazing. Uh, among all minor leaguers, uh, minor league relievers, sorry, with at least 50 innings pitched, he led in strikeouts, strikeout to walk rate, batting average against whip, FIP, and even expected FIP. Like everything is pointing in the right direction for this guy. I, I don't see how he I, – I can't imagine a world where he doesn't contribute to the big league level this year. And I want to get a nickname started for him. So, you know, if everybody could latch on to this. I want to call him the Mississippi Sandman. I think that sounds really cool. Oh, I, I don't know that. how he feels about it. But, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So I think that might be a good one. So let's yeah, get that I, going. I recommend – you mentioned it. I recommend to those who haven't listened his interview on Neil Solon's podcast. Uh, you know, very big personality. He's got the, the the really nice, smooth Southern accent, and I, and I loved kind of hearing what he had to say with Neil. He's a very open guy, very you know exciting personality. I have a question for you though. So, say uh, there's a world in which he breaks camp with the team. Would he, where does he slot in in this bullpen? Is he a guy that you know? And I know he's only pitched like an inning or two in spring training. Is he a guy though that you could see getting some high leverage spots early in the year. If he did in a hypothetical situation, break camp with the team, is he ready for those moments yet? I think he's ready for those moments, but I think right now that belongs to Pete Fairbanks, just the way he finished off the season last year. Like he he's put it, he put up the same numbers white put up basically, but he did that in the major leagues and white did in the minors. So, you know, he's going to have to earn his time. He's going to have to prove it. And he's going to be fine with that. Like he's, he's a grinder. Like he's Colby white is going to go out there and compete. He's going to earn his spot. Um, I don't think he'll be closing games right away, but cash doesn't shy away from throwing, you know, his best pitchers in the high leverage situations. And Colby white would be one of the better pitchers in the bullpen, you know, almost immediately. So just looking forward to his development this spring, you know, working on tunneling his pitches, get all three looking the same out of the hand. And he's going to be really special this year. I think it's going to depend on whether or not he makes the team. You've got to look at, 
you know, what's the health of a guy like Ryan Thompson? You've got, you just signed Jason Adam. Um, what are Colin Poche and Jalen Beeks? Where are they at in their rehab process? It sounds like they're going to be good to go. Calvin Fauche, the other guy they acquired in the Nelson Cruz trade. We've heard a lot of good things about him, including some of his pitch data that's coming out. Um, Jeffrey Springs, I don't know what his status is after he blew his knee last year. There's a lot of other non-roster guys that we'll have to see how they do throughout camp, um, but I think there's not many more promising than Colby White. Have there been any other pitchers that you that you want to mention that you want to raise your voice about here? Yeah, uh, definitely Phoenix Sanders. He's He's got a really cool name, um, so you know that's definitely something to latch on to, but he's got you know an awesome curveball. Really cool to watch that. Um, I didn't get the metrics on it because, you know, we just started getting like public uh, savant data today from today's game. So, you know, I don't know the exact spin and stuff on all that, but it looks like he's got a pretty low release point. So it's going to make that fastball play up with that, uh, that vertical approach angle type thing where it looks like it's almost rising as it comes to the plate. Um, he's, he's a short King. He's like five, he's listed at five ten, So he's probably like five, eight, five, nine. Um, you know, they, they kind of bump those numbers up a little bit sometimes, but He's, he's a high leverage guy. He's another similar to Colby white in the way that like they've been thrown into high leverage pretty much their whole career. And yeah, he just, he gets results. He's had really good numbers throughout the minors. Like he's got the track record to back it up. I don't think we'll see him, you know, as early as white, but I think we'll see him at the majors at some point this year and probably in high leverage as well, just because, you know, that's what he knows and that's what he's good at. Um, but yeah, excellent command, really nice curveball. Um, it seems like a, a, a pretty solid addition to the pen. Now, the last thing I got to ask you, because yeah, I, I liked what, what I had, to, what I got, got to see a little bit out of Phoenix Sanders, but um, I, I had to get, like I said, I haven't been following these religiously. I had the game on at the gym today. I was watching it. It was on uh, the, the, the twins broadcast was being shown on Valley sports sun. So I put that on the TV at the gym. And uh, what I've noticed is like all the lettuce that these guys are rocking. Have you like, I can't even remember the name of the guy who I just thought had amazing hair today. I don't think it was Colby White because I've seen his hair before. Uh, but it might have been yeah. yesterday. It might have been Brigden from yesterday. Is there a guy that you've penciled in with just the best flow, the best lettuce out of these these young pitchers in spring training? Today, it could have been Ian Leatherman. He had, like, the goggles and the, the flow going oh, on. and Beautiful. It was, what it was name, interesting too. to see him pitch. Yeah, and he was a guy that was actually drafted last year who – got a chance to pitch in low a ball so for someone to get drafted and pitch in you know low a the same year that's pretty impressive you know he doesn't he's definitely you know a, a project he's he's quite a ways away from the majors but he's a, a pretty good guy with some great hair so i'm looking forward to his development and hopefully we get to see more of him this spring because he's he's got some pretty nice stuff hard fastball i'm looking at some pictures of him now when he was a member of the the central michigan chippewas and first off they've got some incredible baseball uniforms. I might need to tune into some of their games in the Mac this year. Um, but Ian Leatherman, yeah, I, I, I like the the goggles. Looks great. It looks just like a, a, a the, any pitcher that you'd want to create on MLB The Show, you'd want him to look like Ian Leatherman. So uh, there's going to be plenty of more great pitchers we'll get to see, and the big league guys will start to work in there, I think, sometime within the next week. I really have no clue what the plan is. I know the Rays are playing their cards close to the vest. Um, but Ben, thank you so much for, for coming on today and raising your voice about a couple of young arms um, that you've seen shine throughout the early days of spring training. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This is awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you messaged me on Twitter about this cause this is, this is cool. I'm happy to talk about baseball anytime. You, you are welcome on this show anytime, man. And, and where can people find you specifically your Twitter and, 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 and your podcast? Yeah, so, you know, it's an old gamer tag, but my, my Twitter name is at dogpancake73, all one word. Um, I, I tweet a lot during baseball stuff. Um, I tweet a lot about baseball stuff. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you can find me on there. Uh, I do my podcasting for RBLR Sports. I do the Rays stuff with uh, our co-host, Zach. Um, so you could, you know, check out our stuff on Spotify and all that. We're on all platforms, but. Yeah, I, I tweet too much. It's mostly about baseball, some soccer stuff. I know you're a Chelsea fan. Um, a lot of my stuff is about the the men's national team. I'm excited about them. Uh, hopefully, getting back to the World Cup. But I just I, I like sports, mostly baseball, and I I live and breathe the Rays. I'll, I'll throw you one soccer question. I I know the U.S. men's national team has three big World Cup qualifiers coming up. 
How do you think they're going to do? Do you think they pull off all three wins, or do you think it's going to be squeaky bum time as we head towards the end of the, I guess it's the octagonal now in CONCACAF? Uh, I mean, they don't have to win all three to qualify, but, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, find a way to get a point out of when you're going into Mexico at Estadio Azteca. Like, you got to get a point there. That's important in this last window. And maybe try to win at least one of the home games. If you draw one of them, that's fine. But the main thing is just don't lose. Um, you know, as long if they tie all three, they still qualify, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, they're fine. But if you lose, that's when it gets into scary territory where you don't, you know, control your own destiny. And we don't need a repeat of what happened last time. So just don't lose. But they're going to be fine. They're, they're a really solid team. They're coming together at the right time. Everybody's getting hot. So I like it. I feel yeah. good. I agree. I don't care how ugly it is. Just qualify. Just get there. Even though I'm, you know, not super excited about the uh, circumstances surrounding this next World Cup. I don't know. We won't go too deep into it. This is still a baseball podcast, and it's probably time we wrap things up. So that will do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com. All of the content leading up to the season is really starting to ramp up. There's a ton of great articles on the site. Um, we'll be recording a new episode of the Who's on Worst podcast, our Bad Baseball Movie podcast. I think we'll be recording that tomorrow or Monday. Um, I mean, we're recording this on a Sunday now, so expect that in the near future. But lots of great stuff on the Rays' newest signing, Jason Adam, and maybe a couple of guys that they're in hot pursuit of in free agency and the trade market. So once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.